We just wanted to start out with a quick trigger warning. Um, This episode does contain mention of gun violence um, and particularly gun violence in schools. Another episode of Season of the Bitch, the podcast where class is now in session. LOL. Ring, ring, ring. That's the. Uh, Today we have Ambria, Laura, and Hope. And first, I just want to say that today, September 1st, is our goddamn one-year anniversary from when we dropped the first episode of Season of the Bitch into the world like a precious infant newborn. Ah, a jewel! <laughs> happy anniversary, everybody. Thank you. The happy anniversary to you. Happy oh. anniversary. We did it. We really did it. <laughs> <laughs> this has lasted longer than most of my romantic relationships. <laughs> Anyhow, today, today we're talking about public education, um, aka the ultimate socialism. Just kidding, but I wish uh, if it was actually well funded and teachers were treated like the true heroes that they are. You know that would be a lot better, but. Today we have a really amazing special guest with us this week, Marissa. They were the best MC we could possibly ask for during our live show. And side note, if you haven't listened to our live show yet, like what are you waiting for? Get yourself to the internet. Um, Come on. But thank you so much for being here with us, Marissa. Woo. <laughs> Woo. <laughs> that was Marissa wooing for the audience. <laughs> Before we jump in, we'd love it if you could tell us a little bit about your background um, and just like who you are. Yeah, totally. First of all, thank you guys. I have literally been screaming about Season of the Bitch since February. Um, It's provided me with such solid resources, which I actually reference to in so many of my classes. Um, It's also been pivotal in my understanding of leftism. Y'all are brilliant and I'm honored to be a guest this week. (laughs) I also just want to like quickly thank um, two of my favorite public school educators for essentially holding my hand as I dived into this research. Seriously, none of this would be possible without any of you. All right, so a little about me. Um, I'm currently a student in a public college where I've learned an abundance of mostly useful information. Um, Though I value education more than most things and hope to eventually obtain my PhD in women's studies, so I can teach and write about gender. Um, <laughs> I'm nearly done with my un- undergrad degree in communications, but I'm super passionate about women's studies, partially because I found some of it to be like a bit transphobic. Mm. Um, so my dream is to kind of like deconstruct it and make it more inclusive for people who aren't cis, white, hetero women. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Also, didn't you bring one of your professors to our live show? Sarah Hosey, I love you. 
That is like a baller move right there. Like, hey, you're my professor. You're going to come to this leftist live show. That's amazing. You're amazing. You're going to do all the things and crush cis white het, all of that bullshit. You're just going to like crush it with your brain knowledge. Stay <laughs> tuned. Um, so I thought it could be cool for each of us to discuss our own experiences with public or private education to start. Um, and I think that it just like kind of will frame what we're going to be talking about later. So Marissa, would you like to start us off? Yeah, totally. So I'm completely a product of public education. I've had a pretty privileged experience in it, to be honest, um, partially being just a white woman, um, to be honest. I did move around a lot during my adolescence. Um, During secondary schooling, I transferred between three different schools. The first year of middle school, which is sixth grade in Fort Lauderdale, was kind of traumatizing, to be honest. Like, for example, we weren't allowed to carry backpacks that weren't translucent, which left a huge impression on little me in terms of being horrified of gun violence, just like constantly. Also, in terms of, like, avoid a school shooting, they banned jackets. I'm not kidding. Like, it's in South Florida, so it's not super cold, but you couldn't wear a fucking jacket because the administration was so conscious about the, like, potential onset of guns, which is, like, terrible in so many ways. But, like, how are you going to do that to teenagers? Like, you can't wear a jacket. I don't know. Whatever. So that was that. But around seventh grade, I moved to East Tennessee. Um, The first school I went to was okay. It was in a more rural area, but I eventually transferred to another one, um, which was also public. It just received better funding. Also, just a little side note, the school was incredibly racist. Um, Our mascot was literally called the Rebel, and people would go to football games in blackface, only after driving through the town in their pickup truck, flailing Confederate flags. Totally. So bad. It was so bad. And, like, of course, they're only listening to rap music when they do this. It's just, that's a whole other thing. Anyway. (laughs) Classic, (laughs) classic. So that's for another episode. But it's kind of the norm in, like, a small conservative public school in East Tennessee. Anyway, so I am currently enrolled in classes at a public SUNY university in New York. I will likely remain a student of public education until maybe grad school. But that's a bit into the future for me. Honestly, again, I am having a more than fortunate experience with professors to support me and are outrageously intelligent. Although I know my experience is unlike others, unfortunately. But hey, that's what brought this episode together. That's right. Man, the South can be so scary. I mean, so can the North. Not given the North a pass. Uh, which we can talk about now with my public education experience. <laughs> Uh, so I've lived in New York state for most of my life. So that can kind of frame a lot of this too. Um, I started my educational experience at a Catholic school hellscape, uh, shout out to any of our longtime listeners who heard a bit about that during our religion in the left episodes. Yeah, it's short version. It was awful. Luckily enough, after I begged my mom, I started going to public school in fifth grade. My public school experience was a little wonky because I grew up in a semi-rural area and we had things like drive your tractor to school day 
And a lot of our teachers were super conservative, which I think make, made my public school education a little different than most other folks I've talked to. I had teachers with Reagan posters on their walls and bio teachers who wouldn't teach about evolution or climate change. But I also had incredible music, art, and theater opportunities, as well as more lefty teachers who encouraged me to be mad and active and like supported when I started this underground newspaper called News for the Little Guy. They were like, yeah, we'll put it in the teacher's lounge for you. (laughs) So uh, those teachers opened a lot of doors for me just by suggesting that I had a powerful voice. And it made me realize that teachers are honestly the most powerful tool for change in a lot of ways because you're literally molding minds. And I think about that all the time as an educator now. I'm always thinking, like, how can I uplift and encourage these teens to do exactly what they want? And I also want to briefly talk about my experience with public and private collegiate institutions. So I went to my undergrad, my my undergrad. I don't know why I just had a twang there. I I went to my undergrad at Ithaca College. Uh, It was the only um, private school I applied to. All others were part of the SUNY system, but it gave me a whole bunch of scholarships, so I went. And I'm not trying to drag my collegiate experience necessarily because I know I was extremely fortunate with the professors I had and that my political education was heightened so much due to the classes I I took. But I do want to talk about how messed up it feels to be a commodity to a corporation instead of being a student at school. I honestly will say this actually felt much more acute at the public school I went to for my Ph.D. program. And we'll definitely get into this a little bit later. But I think it's worth deconstructing how education is valued or undervalued or devalued in this country and how students are made out to to be treated like customers and consumers and a piece of the commoditized corporation rather than learners um, and valuing education itself as a public good. Totally. For my part, so I don't have too much to say about my public school experience. It was adequate. I was fortunate to learn some things, even though I barely graduated with a 1.9 GPA, mostly because I just didn't go. Um, then I went to community college, eventually transferred to Virginia tech to finish that out and get my degree. I sort of like stumbled my way through school, but I'm glad I didn't have too much student debt leaving school. Incidentally, I was at Virginia tech during the shootings and it was really intense. I'll talk about this a little later in the episode when we talk about gun violence. I did want to rant briefly here about the way we talk about good and bad school districts and how this relates to property value and wealth. And I just think it's awful that parents are fed this lie that they have to move to a good school for their kids or they're like negligent, bad parents. I'm more in favor of people trying to help their schools be better. Mm. Um, You can do things like participating in school boards and PTAs, for example, and just fighting for better treatment for your teachers, supporting unions. Brandon and I have talked a lot about it for our own kids and we're comfortable with them attending a less resource school because we feel that the opportunities and education we'll give them as parents combined with our family connections and our class privilege will already benefit our kids. Mm. So going to a less resource school can help them learn more about how the world works and see that education should be for everyone. And there's also, you know, a social component to school that's really important so yeah that's sort of how we feel about that hell yeah 
Um, yeah, I was in public schooling my whole life, except for the first couple of years where um, I was taught by my mother at home. And I moved around a lot, like uh, sort of the way Marissa said that they did. I So my like sort of experience with public school is like really all over the place and hard to define in any particular way. Um, but when I was 17, I moved to Chicago and enrolled in a public high school here called Amundsen High School. And um, in a lot of ways, it was a, a really bad school, right? And like Hope said, I you don't always want to talk about it that way. But, it, you know, the schools here, it was also on the north side. But the schools here are really under-resourced. And um, a school that's considered a bad school often has sort of like not a lot of choices as far as staffing goes. Um, and so it creates kind of this vicious cycle. And I'm speaking as someone who's becoming a public school teacher in Chicago. So I definitely want to like, you know, um, reiterate my passion for public school. But I was eventually uh, expelled from that high school because I never went to school. And I, I didn't feel like I, I felt very much like my time was wasted there. And that's something that I really want to remember going forward as a teacher is how many kids just really feel like school is not for them and it doesn't serve them or what they need or what they want. And a lot of that has to do with being under-resourced, understaffed, um, not having enough time and resources to support staff. So, mm-hmm. Too fucking real. And we're going to dive into all that, all that and a bag of chips. I never actually understood that phrase, but I felt like I wanted to say it. So shout out to my brain randomly selecting that phrase to say, cool. Laura's brain. Yeah. Slam them. Six concussions. It'll get you here. Uh, anyway, thanks everyone for sharing. Um, I think Marissa would like to open up the app into more like topics about public education so feel free to take it away thanks so we've all had our own experience with public education and we're all amazing and brilliant people so clearly something went right yeah public education is amazing when it functions (laughs) um but you know there are countless things to say from a leftist standpoint about it Uh, For example, unions and how important they are to not only teachers, but fucking students. Mm. Um, So I just want to start by saying that the NEA or the National Education Association is the largest working union in the United States. It also has the highest number of women in a union. And fucking surprise, Mm. it is always under attack. Not only does the NEA benefit teachers, but it considers the students as well. What a concept. (laughs) Like Uh, teachers care about students. (laughs) Right. Uh, (laughs) Okay, so one of the things the NEA recently did (laughs) was sue Betsy DeVos, who's the worst human. She's terrible. Um, So um, she and the Department of Education were at war with students who are taking online classes. Maybe she blames them for releasing her yacht. I don't (laughs) don't know what's going on there. Um, Anyway, so 
the idea that she and like the Trump administration had was to delay students from obtaining pertinent information regarding their enrollment. So what it looks like for students of online classes or online colleges is um, a hindrance of their understanding on if a class is useful for their degree. Boo. Um, yeah, like, uh, whatever. It's, like, really frustrating. So it's basically, like, DeVos trying to prevent the success of students who rely on online classes because, I don't know, maybe they're constantly working to support themselves or maybe they have children or an elderly parent to support or mm. whatever they're like, they deserve the right to an education if they want to pursue it, which Hell is, yeah. like, it infuriates me because, like, the Department of Education truly doesn't care about poor people who are trying to better themselves. Like, can you imagine? Mm. But enough about her and more about unions. Another blow to all unions, but especially teachers unions, was Janice v. American Federation of State, County, and Municipal Employees. So this case was fueled as pretty much by CEOs and conservatives who strive to undermine the working party. They are, through this, they were opposing 40 years of precedent against unions. Mm. So the decision is 5-4, and it eliminates a public, sector's, a public sector union's ability to collect fair share or agency fees from workers who choose not to join as union members, but are still protected by the union. <laughs> this ruling totally compromises the ability for educators to unite and bargain for students' rights. So this decision not only benefits corporations, but it's also robbing teachers. And corporations are benefiting, and their reign over the economy is just, like, increasing even more. But what's really fucked up about this is teachers who wish to continue contributing to the union will have to compensate for the ones who don't, which is a really huge deal. Because some employees will just, like, blissfully remove themselves from the fair share fees making it really difficult for those who advocate for them. This decision is not about merit. It's completely a political push to perpetuate the already disastrous situation of the economy while deconstructing the quaint amount of democracy in favor of the wealthy CEOs. It's so fucked up. It's so fucked up. And just a really quick sidebar, when I was doing research for this episode, I like was researching like all the amazing union wins that happened over the past year. And Google had like a people also search for, you know how it like shows you that shit sometimes. And it was like people also search for, quote, are teachers allowed to strike? End quote. And I was just like, what the fuck? kind of question is that like and and in my head I mean like maybe this is just because I'm jaded but it in my head is like conservative fucks who are like are they even allowed to do that not like teachers looking to do it and trying to find the information for it but I mean maybe it is that and maybe I'm just too jaded but like I was just like why the fuck is that even the most searched for question about this anyway (laughs) truly yeah, like teachers don't have rights. Like you heard it here first. Like don't strike. Um, mm. I think Laura talks about that. We're gonna talk about that later. But yeah, they weren't supposed to strike in West Virginia. But you know, yeah. Good. Everyone should strike. <laughs> <sighs> All right. So clearly, public schools are facing difficulty with unions, and teachers who are pro-union again are carrying the weight of those who aren't. 
Mm. But another issue schools are facing is a lack of funding. Mm. Like, okay, I'm sorry. It's okay that like Trump and his pals are allowed to back the idea of base force, but students are like experiencing severe issues inside of their school, which like, I'm sorry, if the students actually give a shit about learning, which I know before college, like some people don't really care. I didn't really care myself, but like, if you do care and then you're experiencing flooding, like sewer flooding in your hallway, you're not going to want to go. It's going to like push you even further. So that brings me into an article that I read recently about the reality of cuts for education. The author of this article focuses on a classroom in Arizona where she observes like mice infested classroom globes with two different Germanies. Like we don't only have one anymore. We have two surprise. Mm. And like, again, the plumbing that floods the hallway on a regular basis. So like, that's all super disturbing, but then teachers have to buy their own mousetraps. Like not only markers for the board, not only pencils, but mouse traps. Mm. Anyway, so a lot of these cuts in Arizona happened between like 2008 and 2015 um, when the economy was kind of, you know, like not doing so well. So let's cut education. But anyway, the state's economy has totally bounced back since and lawmakers decided to go for corporate cuts rather mm. than reinvesting in public education. Ugh. Yeah, and I do want to. So nuts. Oh, sorry. No, no, go ahead. I just, no, I sorry. I just want to jump in. Yeah, no, sorry. Um, I just want to jump in and say also that like it's interesting to think about um, which people in public schools those cuts are going to affect the most. Mm. Um, and I do want to recommend a book really quick, which is Savage Inequalities by um, Kozol, K-O-Z-O-L. Um, and he talks a lot about um, the segregation of schools and funding and um, has like a, went around the country and researched in the 90s, but um, it's still super uh, applicable just as far as like, you know, if funding gets slashed, who's that? you know, who's the worst off for that in public schools. Mm. Yeah, this shit gets so fucked. Like, uh, I feel like it is its own brand of insanity when the when when we realize how the funding for our education system across the board is so completely abysmal. Um, I, I l- truly feel like it's a crime. Um, and. I want to just kind of link this to another issue, and I think that the standardized nature of our primary and secondary education is part of this issue. When we have national standards that we believe all students should adhere to, we are already starting the commoditization of those students. Not to mention the fact that we somehow suggest that our nation is at all homogenous, which we know it is not. We don't live in a nation state. We don't live in an ethno state. Thank fucking God. But it's like we cannot have national standards. That doesn't make any fucking sense. And teachers get fired if the majority of their students don't pass these tests. Yeah, not to mention the insanity of No Child Left Behind, where we actually remove funding from schools with poor test scores who, you know, could actually use more resources. 
Yeah. Um, but we give it a name that people feel like sounds like we support kids. That's some bullshit. It's such, such bullshit. And the standardizations that went into place with George W. Bush and No Child Left Behind are like the most fucked up shit. Like, I could go on and on about Common Core, but that's like I feel like a whole episode onto itself. Okay. But literally anyone who knows anything about education and has either worked in alternative education settings or has done research on how education works in other nations or has worked within the public school system or private school systems within the United States knows that standardization is dumb. I've worked as an educator both within and outside of the public school systems since 2008. I've worked with literally every age group, preschoolers, elementary and middle schoolers, high schoolers, college students, and adult learners. Standardization not only stifles learning within and outside of the classroom, but it drives the light out of learning. And it just drives people to just be completely unengaged and hate education, hate learning. Um, And leads people to want to do what they literally see is the easy path, which is generally fucking business, which is its own problem. It's like sending all the people into these sectors that we want to destroy anyhow and like stifling the humanities. But my goal as an educator generally is to ignite a love of learning. Like when you tap into what a student loves, you can use that to stretch their brain in positive and constructive ways. I'm so sorry, Laura. That is so sweet. I would love to be your student. (laughs) I would love to have you as a student. Uh, I mean, our fucked up funding for education not only forces teachers to teach to a test, but it also doesn't allow students to actually be an individual learner. Not only do the positions that do exist get completely underpaid and underfunded, but there are a plethora of roles that are just missing from our education system at this point. The ratios in our classroom are far too high, and we still pretend that the majority of our youth are white and middle class when that statistically has not been true for almost a decade. Or possibly was never true, but the the educational textbooks are at least slightly catching up with ourselves. Anyway, pretty sure I just went on a rant, but the point is, it's obvious that our public educational systems across all age levels are not actually meant for learning. They are meant to uphold the current status quo, re-amplify hierarchies in our society, and keep educators not only in a gendered role like, oh, you must care about this as a woman so you can get paid less and like also you're doing it as a labor of love, et cetera, et cetera, or like don't go on strike because you're hurting the children. Like fuck that shit. Like going on strike is for the children. It's for this. (sighs) But anyway... When like all of these things are happening in poverty and near poverty and way too stressed out with all the pressures of standardization and large classroom sizes, like being a teacher is like it should be on the same level as being a lawyer. It should be like the you are literally molding the minds of the future. So the fact that it's just like totally devalued is like offensive and criminal. Yeah. And I think um, this is a good place to mention the fact that there is a profit motive for privatization. So, you know, vouchers, private school is a big money issue. And also private schools means the curriculum can be controlled and customized. So you get things like evolution denial. Mm. And I also think more big picture public education poses a threat, like true public education for everyone poses a threat to white, white male supremacy 
And also just the fact that educated voters with media literacy are harder to dupe than a public that's kept uninformed and oppressed. Yes. <laughs> like snapping over here, like freaking the fuck out. Yeah, of course. Like, how do we get ourselves into any of these fucking political nightmare situations? I mean, like other than extreme voter suppression, which is obviously very real and fucked up. But like, it's because like we don't have the information and the information is hard to get. And there's things blocking our way to get that information all the fucking time. Yeah. And it's also like, like Hope said, like it's a threat to white supremacy. And, and then look at also like which schools once again are the ones that suffer the most um, from being denied resources. And it's schools that are full of children of color um, while continuously like public schools in the suburbs, just a little ways away are getting so much more by way of resources because it's not as dangerous to educate white kids well is it yeah i mean we have a legacy of not letting black people read in this country and i think that that holdover from slavery is still very present and you see i mean people knew people in power knew how powerful literacy was at that time and we can't forget that that knowledge still exists with people in charge now absolutely yeah deep breaths deep breaths (laughs) if a school is like not doing if a public school isn't doing well and the test scores aren't what they you know want them to be they'll close it and then they'll like propose the idea of a fucking charter school instead Mm. which is just so frustrating like just make public education better don't do charter schools it's terrible or at least um so funding for the average public school comes from a variety of places. And it's it's really funny because not only are schools maybe threatened with closure if they're not performing well, um, but they're often also denied funds because they're not performing well. Mm. And so the idea, I think, like we said earlier, like that you fund a school less because the standardized scores are down. And this is discussed as well. This is put forward by Jonathan Kozel and savage inequalities. If a school's doing poorly, it should be given more resources, not less, right? Why would we say like, oh, this school is struggling. These kids are struggling. Their scores are low. We're gonna take resources away. How is that possibly gonna help them? It's absurd. Yeah. Well, it's disenfranchisement of people, which you market as a personal failure, Mm. right? So I have family in Savannah that will say things like, Black parents just don't care and they're not involved. And that's why the students don't do well. Mm -hmm. Um, If if these kids are failing these standardized tests, it's because they're not taking enough personal responsibility and we should punish them. The fucking myth of meritocracy. It's like Mm -hmm. someone mentioned it on another episode we did where it's like the only reason that people can rationalize the system as the way it is, is through meritocracy. And we were talking Mm -hmm. about it at the time in capitalist terms, but it applies to the education system too. Like they can only understand and comprehend the inequalities based on personal failings, because if they didn't believe that they would have to reassess their worldview. Hey, Laura. (laughs) Hey, Andrea. What's a meritocracy? (laughs) 
I thought we were going to do like, a, isn't there there like a cheer that's like, hey, cheerleader, hey, what? Anyway, um, <laughs> meritocracy, <laughs> meritocracy is like the the myth that if you try hard, you can achieve anything. So we see it with the bootstraps ideology, uh, like the American dream bootstraps ideology. Like if you work hard, you can achieve anything. Um but in this situation, it applies to like if you're in a school and you're actually working hard, you would be doing well rather than understanding that there's all these structural uh, hierarchical forces keeping people specifically and intentionally in a subordinated place. And furthermore, it's also the sense in school, right, that like school is a competitive environment and that it's normal and natural that some people are doing really well and um, are going to be successful and some people are not. Um, that's also something that like our meritocratic structure of capitalism primes us for, which is just this idea that, of course, some people do better and others do not do as well. That's a natural part of living in a competitive society. Um, and I think that also... Um, allows us to, you know, cop out when kids aren't doing well or aren't being served and tell ourselves a lot of lies about the reasons why that is. And then also this goes into, and I'm not going to go too deep into the weeds on this, but um, this also goes into sort of gifted tracking and like mm. putting some kids in higher tracked courses than others. A lot of parents, especially white privileged parents, um, who have kids in public schools demand this, right? They demand tracked courses. They don't want their kids in with the rest of the other kids because if their kid is going to go to this public school, they want to be able to have proof that their kid was better, right? So if they can say, my kid was in this tracked course, my kid was there because they performed better, even if they went and demanded it because they have connections in the, in the community. Mm. Yeah, hell yeah. And it's worth noting that in other countries, there aren't, always grades there isn't always homework even the grading system isn't an end-all be-all we think of it as intrinsic to education but we don't it's something that could be completely abandoned yeah and that's the problem with the meritocracy because it's like oh if we don't have grades how do we know which ones are better yes and it's like oh just talk to a person and assess it on an individual <laughs> basis and that's fine what <laughs> i don't like that <laughs> So I think this is a good space for us to take a quick music break and we will be right back. We're playing house, but I'm fixing to find out. Is it a house you like? Gambling families and tolerable rambling. Tracing their claims on design. Oh yeah.
be back. And I thought that we could talk a little bit about immigration and public education. So one thing I want to say about immigration and public education is this is a fight that we are still fighting, obviously. Um, We saw in Texas and and Arizona last year that school districts tried to strip the schools of curriculum that is crucial for our Latinx students. And to clarify for folks who may not know, in June 1982, the Supreme Court issued Plyer v. Doe, which was a landmark decision holding that states cannot constitutionally deny students a free public education on account of their immigration status. So this means that all young people in the United States, regardless of their immigration status, have a constitutional right to a free education. Obviously, the Supreme Court can supremely suck it right now, but we do need to understand that our public schools need to be able to handle a very diverse population. Um, I worked at an elementary school in Portland that had youth that spoke over 30 languages. So not each student individually, just 30 different languages, 30 different languages that were spoken at the school. Um, And the school did everything in its power to give these students the resources they needed to thrive. They unfortunately had the lowest reading scores in the state of Oregon for an elementary school. And they were extremely underfunded, under-resourced, and really struggled to, to work with the need that the immigrant population and refugee population needed. We know that after third grade, a student has their just their brain and how their brain works is far less likely to learn to read at an accelerated level. Um, that doesn't mean it's impossible. It doesn't mean it's too late for them, but it means that they do need um, probably more assistance that some other students wouldn't need if they had grasped those concepts by the age of eight. And when a school doesn't end up having the appropriate resources to give these youth, they end up suffering. And the hierarchies in our society that keep stacking up against that they just keep stacking up against immigrant populations. We need far more resources in our public schools to to be able to not only fully embrace the diverse student populations, but allow them to thrive and learn at the best possible rate they can. And I think that this this is it's I think a multi-tiered issue right like it's it's part of our xenophobic our racist society our like citizen centered society which like we could go on and on about how fucking borders are just a construct that upholds uh western hegemonic values throughout the world like you could go into so many things like we've talked about in our immigration episodes where it's like the reason people are fleeing to this country are is specifically because the United States is a imperialist fuckhead who can't like not just destroy everything it touches. Um, and and when we're trying to like somehow create I mean, we've talked again at nauseum on this show about how citizenship and borders in and of themselves are constructs that uphold white supremacy and because of that, like, we're against them. But yeah, and like, also just thinking about extending this to the way we treat indigenous people and like the history of indigenous uh, people in on this continent and schooling, um, which included like sending taking them away from their families to indoctrinate them into white culture here in the U.S. And I mean, there there are also people who speak other languages in this country who 
are taken to schools where um, English is their second language and they're forced to use that and they're not being taught using like the best um, multilingual uh, methods that we know to be the most effective. Absolutely. Um, We did want to touch on gun violence uh, in this episode and like we totally know like all of these different themes we're touching on are just so huge so it's just the really the tip of the iceberg um, like a lot of the things we touch on on this podcast because we do deal with a lot of like super heavy and serious subject matter but I uh, on the topic of gun violence you know um, right after the Parkland shooting Trump famously said as I'm sure everybody knows that teachers should be armed and that this is the solution um, to uh, the problem we've been having with school shootings that has just seemed to be getting worse and worse. Um, I actually just read an education journal, uh, Rethinking Schools. I read this article that said that gun-related deaths are now the third leading cause of death for people under 18 in this country. Mm. Um, This is according to a study from the publication called Pediatrics. And then the same article also talks about a Gallup poll where three-fourths of teachers say that they don't want to be armed. Um, So if we just talk about, like, basically how practical this plan is, it doesn't make sense if teachers aren't going to do it. Yeah, and also, if we were to arm teachers and they somehow agreed to do it, I just wonder how long it would be before a teacher shot a black student and was like, I was afraid for my life. Yeah. And we know that black and brown students are already expelled and suspended at way higher rates and for the same violations that white kids essentially just get a reprimand for. So arming teachers just seems like another way to put black and brown bodies in danger. And that stress also, I have to imagine, would be very would make learning almost impossible for those kids. Yeah. And that also actually makes me think to hope about um, the fact that here in Chicago, we have a lot of um, police officer presence in Mm -hmm. schools. And I actually it's it's kind of awful that I don't know if that means they're not armed. I think they must be. So we Mm -hmm. might already have this armed presence in our schools. And I'm definitely going to have to look into that um, and find out if maybe a cop in a school doesn't have a gun or if they do or what. Um, I imagine maybe they don't. But I think um, this makes me think also of this distinction between school shootings and neighborhood violence that kids in poor neighborhoods face, um, especially black kids and kids who are people of color. Um, Obviously, the statistic of one in three kids is a combination of both of these types of violence. And to treat it has a problem to be solved by giving teachers guns is to say that only kids getting shot on school premises has anything to do with our country's problem with gun violence. Um, and that says a lot about whose lives we value and whose deaths cause an uproar. Like clearly, yes, kids should be safer in schools than elsewhere, but securing that very basic need is not where our discussion about gun violence should end. And, and that feels outside of the purview of the question of education. But in my opinion, it shouldn't feel that way because education is about the project of living in a society together and raising our children up and teaching them to be members of that society um, and protecting kids therein for mm-hmm. those purposes. Of course. And as always, we would be remiss if we didn't talk about school shootings and mass shootings from a feminist perspective. Um, While people can't quite 
pin down a concrete similarity behind all mass shootings, there is one common denominator in that they are all boys or men. Uh, I'm going to go on a rant real quick about gun violence in general and how it relates to violence in our schools. Um, So here's a fucking real statistic for y'all. Over half of the killings of American women are related to partner violence. So when we talk about gun control or mass shootings or gun violence, it is inextricably bound to the patriarchal hellscape that we live in. When men and boys think they're entitled to a woman's body in any way, that not only reinforces the really fucked up hierarchies within our society, as we see on a political and societal level, but it also results in intense violence against women and girls. We've talked about this before, and we do need to talk about it as it relates to schools, too, because not only does it send a pretty fucking clear message when the reaction to this violence is to arm teachers, but it obviously also doesn't address the underlying issues. Boys need to be taught at an early age, like preschool or earlier, that they are not entitled to anything. No one is. We all have to be, I mean, we're entitled to safety, right? Like we're entitled to health care and education and all these things, but you're not entitled to someone else's body. Um, we all have to be kind to one another and exhibit radical respect for one another and one another's consent. And another result of these shootings is that schools are militarized, as Ambria was getting to before. Cops are in almost every inner city public school and some suburban and rural schools as well. And this means that black and brown students are more likely to interact with cops on a daily basis when they should be focused on learning. And we know that there is a PTSD type reaction that can happen for people of color who have been closely related to any sort of violence by the police. And that can literally mean having access to the fucking news because our cops are racist scumbags who go through six fucking weeks of training before they enter our communities rather than over two years in other countries. Anyways, the bottom line is we have a patriarchal problem and it's affecting our ability to teach in already underfunded and under-resourced schools. And we can't just like somehow think that it's a good idea to bring more weaponization into that scenario instead of actually like engaging in in an understanding. And again, it gets back to like what we were saying before where actually addressing the problem means to look at white patriarchal hegemony in this country and obviously the people in power are not willing to do that yeah and just to chime in here as i mentioned earlier i was at virginia tech during the shootings there and was nearby when it happened um there's a ton i could say about this i knew some people who were killed and obviously it was really impactful for me as a young person but um what stands out to me about this specifically is that teachers came out after the fact and said that the shooter had been a disruptive student in their classes. They'd referred him to student mental health services. They'd kind of bounced him around a bit before the shootings between different um, departments that provide student support. And it just seemed like that teachers were really frustrated that there wasn't more they could do with that information that, hey, this is somebody who's raising a lot of red flags for us. And that obviously... I don't think, you know, having behavioral mental health issues is the be all end all in the analysis of violence in schools. But in this case, it did seem like the school failed the students. And also the lack of gun control was glaringly apparent. And on top of that, it was salt in the wound to have George W. Bush come speak at the ceremony afterwards, knowing that he was a warmongering pro-gun president. Oh, no. Wow. (laughs) What a fucking asshole. Thoughts and prayers. Oh, my God. Hashtag thoughts and prayers. 
That's amazing to hear, too, because just thinking about, um, you know, right, teachers saying, well, we referred him for mental health services. And obviously, like, mental health services is not enough to address the problem of violence. Like, understanding mental health is not, or like, taking care of people's mental health, I'm sure, is a great step. But, like, that's not the answer in and of itself, like, oh, send this person to therapy. And I think also we hear sort of these like, oh, well, if people are outcast and bullied at schools, um, that's what causes them to do it. And we really just need to teach people to be nicer to each other. When like people were talking about the Parkland shooter and they were like, yeah, he was a really horrible person to be around and he gave us all the creeps. And, um, I think this idea that everybody just needed to be nicer to this person who um, was about to have a violent outburst that killed people um, is just absurd. I also think that, and I don't know if this is like the wrong take to have, but I know a lot of people and like, I think people who were in this situation have spoken out about this, but there are a lot of people who have been like severely bullied for their whole life. And obviously that shouldn't fucking happen. But those people were all like, that does not make me want to go out and kill people. That is a different fucking Mm -hmm. issue. Um, And I do think that going into this bully narrative, um, I'm not saying you were doing that. I'm saying like, if we, if we are to buy into that, I think it's a really dangerous um, thing to think to think because there are obviously like the the percentage of people who are bullied that then carry out these sorts of things is probably statistically like around zero percent right or like a point one so it's it's we really can't can't buy into that and I think that's something that we need to think about when we're kind of processing all of this gun violence well, stuff. I think that you know as much as we hear about it a lot and, and it should really never happen it's still statistically fairly rare in terms of like things that happen to have somebody become a school shooter in terms of like the number of people in the United States who actually go on to carry out attacks like this. But the common denominator is absolutely access to weapons. And that's what we should be looking at (laughs) instead of trying to like Nancy Drew to steal from Tanya um, what it is that makes people do it. Because if they didn't have access to military grade weapons, we would be able to deal with these people in a totally different way. Yeah. Absolutely. Hope's back at it again with the good points. That spicy hot take. Fiery hot. (laughs) So um, to end this out, we really wanted to end on a positive note. You know, Uh, we're talking about a lot of problems that are in public education, a lot of the pitfalls of the fact that um, the government's trying to starve it out of existence. Um, But the positive note, I think, is just that the people who are on the front lines of a lot of the major issues that are happening right now in the United States are students of public education. We see youth um, out there leading the fight for public education in many places. I know I see that here in Chicago so much. Um, and teachers of pu- who are in public education are out here advocating for their students. And um, because they're advocating for their students and the people of the city, they are advocating for making the city a better place, a more equitable place. Um, and I think education is the stuff of life. And I think that's why we see people who 
are connected to public education, family members of students who are in public education. I think that's why we see them um, flowing forth from this sort of nexus of community uh, in, in so many various ways and connecting it to so many different issues that we have. And I think also looking at a lot of the wins that we've seen across the country that came from teachers mobilizing and not just teachers. I want to keep pointing that out. Mm -hmm. Like their students, the families of their students, their own families um, have been a big part of that too. It's something that really connects people and that is really powerful, not only because of what we teach people in schools, but also because of the way that it brings community together in this transformative way when it's done well. Hell yeah. Yep. Before we <laughs> totally wrap up, I want to first of all say, Marissa, you are amazing. Thank you so much for suggesting this episode. Thank you so much for being on here and lending your own expertise. And um, hopefully we can have you on again sometime to talk about either this again or other things that you you are so brilliantly uh, in touch with. Seriously, though, like, I love y'all and like I love this podcast and it was an honor to just like share what little bit I know and share my experience in public education because I think that it is, um, I'm pretty sure Hope said this earlier, like the foundation of, I'm going to take what Laura said, molding minds. <laughs> so I think it's really important for us to like think about it, especially from like a leftist point of view that everyone deserves a fair education and everyone deserves equality. And fuck standardized tests. The, yeah. yeah, fuck them. <laughs> yeah, fuck them. Um, so as always, you can get in touch with us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Season of the Bee. You can check out our website, seasonofthebee.com. We have swag up on there, sweatshirts, t-shirts, etc. You can rate, review, subscribe on iTunes. We love reading what y'all have to say. And if if you have the ability, we would love it if you supported us financially on Patreon. Um, you can do that for as little as just a dollar a month. Yeah, or as many as one million dollars a month. One million dollars a month. We don't actually know if there's a cap or what it would be. So um, yeah, you're please feel free to uh, test that and, and test let that us out. know what the cap is. Test it out. See what you got. If you got love. See if it'll money. take 10 million. Yeah, I don't know. Well, fucking yeah. Okay. Love you all. Oh, okay. Love you. <laughs> love you. Okay. Bye. 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 Bye.